Hey, what's up, party people? Adam Bush here. Welcome to the Kidman Podcast. This is the last episode of the season. Season one is complete. 12 episodes is how many we set out to make one per month, and we did it. This is the last one. It's bittersweet because we did it, and that's awesome, but also because it's the end of the first season. Uh, but I got a great episode for you. Uh, in today's episode, we are talking to Frank Beeler. You might remember Frank as a head of family ministries at Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He has since transitioned to Orange. So many of us know and use Orange. And uh, Frank is the executive director of leadership development over at Orange. Today, we are answering the age-old question, is it possible to balance working at a church and your real life? The answer is no. It's not possible, people. I'm sorry. In the in the podcast right now. Just kidding. It is possible. And uh, Frank has literally written the book on it. We're going to talk about that uh, quite in depth. But um, the conversation is uh, not only inspirational when it comes to this idea, but also super practical. And that's going to be really helpful with getting into the new year. I love it. Since this is the last episode, let's talk about a couple of things. If you want to connect with me after these episodes are done or have aired, hit me up, theambushgroup.com. There you can see the kids ministry work I'm working on, my television show, Pete and Penelope, um, other commercial work that I do. Uh, Maybe I can help you out, but that's where you can also connect with me. Um, either email me, follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Do people use Twitter anymore? I think so. I use Facebook and Instagram mostly, but regardless, that's where you can connect with me and uh, we can stay frenzies. Lastly, before we get into the episode, um, I told you guys not too long ago about uh, and about something cool that my friends and I uh, came out with this last year to help you tell better stories in your church. It's called thestoryguide.com. It's an online masterclass style workshop that tells you and teaches you how to find stories within your church, develop stories within your church, and film, put the finishing touches on your story, stories for your weekend services. Uh, you can find that at thestoryguide.com. We have since the last time I talked to you about it, launched a blog, which is free, of course, because it's a blog and blogs are free. Every Wednesday, we post a new blog to help you tell better stories. And my assumption is that many of you are not just children's pastors, but your video guys or media guys or worship guys. This is designed to help you communicate and tell better stories in the local church. So with all that said, let's get to the episode. Let's get to why you're here. Frank Beeler, conversation. Here we go. So here I am with my good friend, Frank Beeler. I got him on the line. Frank, thanks for being on the podcast. Man, Adam, it's good to talk to you. It's good to be on the podcast. I hate that our first time catching up in a while is on this recording, but at the same time, it should be for some honest, vulnerable conversation between the two of us. I've missed you, man. It's good to talk to you. Absolutely, man. uh, Frank and I have known each other for quite a while from kids ministry. And um, I just think it's great to uh, reconnect with you, but then specifically to be able to help, you know, children's ministers and leaders all over the country and all over the world who listen to our podcast. So we're really grateful that you would take some time out of your very busy schedule. I know you got a lot going on. And with that, I think the first thing we should do is let's talk about your new role this year. Oh, yeah, man. It's been such a whirlwind. Um, 
maybe you know some of your your listeners will know that I was at Elevation Church for the last oh, seven years or so. We were there as volunteers for a couple of years, my wife and I, and then we went on staff. I was a family pastor, so I oversaw kids, students, adults, small groups, part of our creative staff, and really, really enjoyed our time there and honestly made the hardest decision of our life to transition out of that role and into this new role at Orange, which um, some of you may be familiar with the curriculum that's Orange. Of course, Orange is more than that. It's this big strategy and concept for family ministry. Uh, But I am the executive director of leadership development, which sounds really important, uh, but really just means that I get the opportunity to invest in leaders and oversee the projects we do at Orange to help staff members at churches just do their job better and grow as leaders. We work with over 10,000 churches, and so each day I get to spend time just coaching, investing, and and helping leaders navigate the unique tensions in ministry. I love it. That's awesome. And of course, you know, uh, Orange Curriculum being so huge, so many people are going to feel the impact of what you are doing. So kind of talk to me about a little bit of your day-to-day, what you're doing in the office and in your work and the things that you're really passionate about there. Yeah, for sure. So um, we're, you know, working on blogs, podcasts. We've actually released several podcasts over the last a few months, just trying to find ways to get in people's world, resource them with ideas, things that we're learning, trying to be open-handed, just like you've done, Adam, making sure that people have access to the people and connections that you have. You have amazing connections. Your phone Rolodex is really impressive. And the way you've kind of opened that up to say, no, 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 I want to share these conversations with others is critical. And so we're doing a lot of that. We are developing a a pretty intense coaching program. I'm actually doing the beta right now with 11 people that are in a coaching group with me. And our goal is in January to kick off another at least half dozen groups. They each have 10 to 12 people. It's a, a year-long commitment where we just talk strategy. We help leaders work both in and on their ministry. And so both developing that, we're in the middle, we're recording this in early October, and we're in the middle of our uh, fall tour for Orange, which will be in 20 different cities. Uh, uh, our teams will. I'll actually be in a total of about 14 of those cities. And so having a blast doing that, connecting with leaders, you know, in the lobby. And uh, for your listeners that have been at Orange Conference that happens in April, you guys know that it's like a big family and you quickly figure out that it's like this huge reunion. Even though there's 8,000 people there, you quickly recognize people. You look forward to seeing people again. And a lot of that's just because of the approach in Orange of just building family, investing, giving people your phone number and just wrestling with stuff and talking out loud and talking leadership development and discipleship and just investing. So I spend a lot of my time creating content and pushing out content to leaders, whether that be phone calls, coaching groups, blogs, podcasts, and then traveling around a bunch as well. This is a bit of a tangent, Frank, but but why do you feel like you're talking about open-handedness a moment ago and so many leaders and so many children's ministry leaders refuse to be open-handed in regards to the way that they maybe give information to other churches or ideas specifically and uh, kind of keep them a little bit close to the chest. Why do you think we do that so often? You know, it's interesting you ask. When I was at Elevation, we we were pretty open-handed. That was part of our culture, and we've been a part of churches. Open-handed, maybe maybe it costs a little bit, maybe it doesn't, but the willingness just to say, here, here's what I'm learning. I think there's this sense of competition and a lack of energy. We just don't have time to pour into other people, and we get pretty short-sighted. Adam, the reality is 
we met years ago and you took time for me to help me navigate some stuff and you've since called me and we just kind of figured it out together. And I think that a lot of great leaders will learn over time that it's better to just have people you can lean in on and people that you're pouring out and pouring yourself into. You know, Andy Stanley has this great quote. Uh, I don't know where he said it first, but he says, it's not my job to fill up someone else's cup but it is my job to pour out mine. And so I'm going to invest and pour into leaders. And so I actually used to have calls at Elevation. Uh, they had a funny name for them. So I would have um, uh, fill your cup calls. And I required myself to have four calls a week that were 45 minutes long, where I was pouring into ministries that uh, really didn't have anything in a grand scale or any way to serve our ministry. It was just about helping them. Because I knew that I was going to reach out to the people I needed help from. That wasn't going to be a problem. But I think there's something about taking a posture where you're like, no, I'm going to systematically develop and invest in others and partner with others and reach out to local churches and offer to help. Uh, you know, it's funny, Adam, because... Yeah, there's some sense of being close-handed, but the opposite is true in that a lot of times people won't ask for help. They're trying to figure it out themselves, and they won't receive the help or ask for the help uh, from those that have gone ahead of them. I don't understand that, to be honest, but I think there's something of feeling threatened, there's some competition, and there's this expectation, especially with younger leaders, that if I don't figure this out for myself, it's somehow cheating. And it's an unhealthy perspective, but a real perspective. One of the big, uh, we're going to pivot for a moment, but one of the big uh, points of tension when you are in ministry is something that you have obviously felt, and that is the tension of what you're just talking about, time. We are extremely busy. Doing church work is extremely um, time-consuming. And there is uh, constantly, I'm sure, in every family's home, a conversation about the balance of your time at work and your time with your family. And this was such a point of tension and apparently passion of yours that you wrote a book about it. So talk to me about that. Yeah, sure. So it's called The Myth of Balance. Um, you can find all about it, mythofbalance.com, a bunch of free resources there. Um, but let me just kind of give you a synopsis. A few years ago, we're at Elevation. Things are going awesome. At that point, we had, let's say, eight, nine, 10 campuses. I don't know, something like that. And things are rolling. We're having a blast. Our family's loving the church, um, but it's feeling like a lot, right? It's it's overwhelming. Ministry's relentless. In fact, as, a, as an aside, my uh, best friend is a guy named Kerry Newhoff, great leader, great podcaster. Uh, you should all connect with him. And he told me something one day. I just came in from mowing my lawn. And he said this to me. He said, do you know why you like mowing your lawn? And I said, um, no, actually, I, I don't know. I, I do like it a lot, but why? And he said, because after an hour, you're done and you can turn around and look and see it complete. And yet ministry is relentless. It's never done. It never feels finished. And so in our lives, there's this constant opportunity for us to minister to more people, care for more people, do more, do it better. And you're always feeling a little under-resourced, a little understaffed, um, and you're trying to do the most with what you got. And there's a sense of urgency to what we do. There's not a complacency for most of us. And so in light of that, we end up pushing ourselves really hard and somebody feels like they're losing. Somebody feels like they're being cheated. And my wife and I got to a place a few years back where we were sitting down. She was editing a large group script, and I was doing some more emails. It was late one evening. We just got the kids to bed, and we we're just like, ah, 
Is this what Jesus intended? Not not the church, not what the church was asking of us, but like this busyness that we had created. Was this healthy? Was this right? Because we'd found that we kept saying that we were in a busy season, but the seasons were never changing. And so as best I know, seasons change, right? And yet this wasn't changing at all. It was relentless. And so we found ourselves going, okay, something doesn't feel right about this. When Jesus said in, in John 10, 10, I come to give you life and give it to you to the full, I don't know that he meant this for our calendars. And so we started to talk and my wife basically said, well, when you figure it out, you let me know. And I took that as a challenge. And so I started reaching out to great leaders that I admire and trust and say, hey, uh, tell me how you do balance. And I quickly discovered that none of them were using the word balance, those that were successful and thriving with their family and ministry. uh, They weren't taking that approach. And so as I had more conversations, I found that they had plans, they had approaches, they had strategy, but they didn't have balance. And I quickly discovered that balance is a myth. It doesn't exist. I think every once in a while you'll find somebody that says they're balanced, and it's like a blurry photo of the Loch Ness Monster. You can't really see it. They can't really explain it, and you're not sure that's what it has. And then as soon as they get the picture, it's gone again because things are changing so quickly. And so our pursuit with the book was to say, okay, well, if balance doesn't exist, don't send me chasing after something I can't find. So if that's not going to work, something's got to change. It's not me just do more, harder, work faster. Something's got to give. And it's not give up on the church, which unfortunately right now, uh, over half of leaders that get involved in ministry quit within the first five years. And I don't think it's because uh, they fall out of love with what Jesus was intending for the church to do. I think it's they can't figure out how to reconcile all of it, and it becomes overwhelming. And so the book is us saying, okay, really, in your life, there are three buckets. And by the way, the book is a whopping 95 pages long, and it's kind of got some work page, workbook pages to it, because we wanted to keep it simple, and it's very active and hands-on. And we said, there's three buckets. There's the routine. This is your reality. This is your regular schedule. This is what you do. And I think a lot of people aren't honest about their reality. They say they're part-time. They work full-time. They complain about needing to be part-time, even though they are full-time. But the reality is the role that they're doing is full-time. And if they look at it and that's what it is, they either need to embrace it, change their role, or talk to their senior leaders about trying to reconcile that. Um, But they need to understand what their reality actually is. What's your routine? And I think most leaders can figure out what their routine is and manage it pretty well. Um, That's not the problem. The problem is not the routine. Here's where the problem kicks in. It's the second bucket, the sporadic. The sporadic are the things you know they're going to happen. You just don't know when they're going to happen next. The third bucket is the completely unexpected, the surprise. And I don't know how to plan for that or what to do. Here in Atlanta, a while back, our interstate caught fire and collapsed. You don't plan for that in your staff meeting on how people are going to get to small groups because now the interstate's gone. That'd be a waste of time. And so it's like, okay, so we're not going to focus on that bucket. Things are going to happen and we'll navigate it and Jesus will help us. But the sporadic's the problem. Because we know they're going to happen, we don't know when, and so therefore we don't plan for them. And so what we do with the sporadic is every time the same thing that comes up, we've dealt with it before, but it's like we're surprised every time. If you've ever seen the the Christmas movie, which who hasn't, uh, the movie Elf, uh, there's a scene in there where Will Ferrell is assigned to deal with the -the jack-in-the-box 
toys and he has to turn each one and then the toy pops up and then he puts it aside and then he does the next one. And every time he jumps, like it startles him every time. I think that's how we in ministry act toward the sporadic. It happens, it comes up and we're shocked. We're thrown off by it. We're taken aback by it every single time. And so something's got to change. And uh, Adam, I'll give you a quick example just practically of, of how that played out and how that created a formula for our family of how we approach the sporadic. And it goes like this. When we were at Elevation, we had the awesome opportunity to take care of um, the final interviews for a lot of staff. So they would go through this long interview process, all these different interviews. And then there was an opportunity for us to go out to lunch with them or dinner one last time and see if they were crazy. One last meal, my wife and I would take them and we'd just kind of see if they're normal or if they're really weird. Just one more check before we offer them a job. And so my wife and I would do this, but the reality is I would have to call home that day and say, hey kids, I know we were planning on me being home tonight, but we've got an interview. And my little daughter inevitably would say, I understand, Daddy. It's okay. Now, she was very sad and dejected, but she was supportive. And so my wife and I would go to the dinner. Well, I kind of got tired of saying I'm sorry all the time, and I knew there had to be a different plan. So we came up with a plan. Why did interviews have to equate? They're sporadic. We knew they were going to happen. We didn't know when. Why did they have to equate to sadness in our family every time? So we're like, well, who said? Why can't we change this? So we made a simple plan, and it's all throughout the book, this idea of when this, then that. And we say, when we have an interview, then the kids go to the same restaurant and get to order an appetizer and a dessert. And if you have kids, you know that's a really big deal because an appetizer and dessert, first of all, you don't get that when you go out to a family restaurant because you want to get in and out as quickly as possible and you want to destroy as little as possible, make as small a mess as possible. And so here we were now making a joy out of something that used to be negative. And so now I'd call home and say, hey, we got an interview tonight. And my kids are like, yes, this is going to be so much fun. It added another bonus in that they sat at a separate table and about an hour and a half in, they were kind of done. And so it made sure that we kept that meeting to an appropriate length of time because they could go on forever at nighttime. And so it was strategic. It helped us. And now one of those things that I was doing on a regular basis in ministry saying, I'm sorry, another thing's come up now became a blessing. And it put us on this track to say, why can't we say, here's our routine, here's our reality, let's get it on paper, let's get our arms around our calendars, let's look at some productive planning, let's be honest with ourselves. That's a part of the workbook, that's a smaller part of the workbook. Then we transition into the sporadic of the book, where we talk about what are the sporadic things you know they're going to happen, you just don't know when. For example, if you're part of a church plant ministry Maybe you're, you know that your senior pastor is always going to call a late night meeting after he goes to a conference because he's got five new ideas that he wants to implement and improve the church. Well, why don't you come up with a plan to say, when that happens, this is what happens for my family, or this is what happens to my calendar. This is how I work differently. So you start to come up with that plan. When this, then that. It's not about balance. You won't be able to find it. But we can do a better job of thriving in this tension of life and family and ministry. Frank, so much of what you're talking about does include practical to-dos uh, in these situations, but a lot of it sounds like there's got to be a bit of a heart change in that you're making a conscious 
decision, I'm going to change. Definitely. In fact, one of the things we're doing with the book is we know that everybody makes New Year's resolutions, right? And um, a very small fraction of those ever come true. It's under 10%. Um, so we thought we'd do a new year, new you. And so what we're doing right now is when the book, uh, when you order the book, there's a little sticker on there and then you log into this website. It's mythobalance.com. You can sign up for a free Facebook group. And we're actually going to, in the new year, actually say, all right, we're going to take all these different areas. We're going to work through this together. And we're going to talk through how this really changes our perspective, our mindset, our hearts. And for some people, it just kind of sets them free to move at a slower pace in ministry to make it for the long haul. And so, in fact, I met with a student pastor yesterday in Minneapolis, and he came up to me with this idea that was really, really awesome, but he was feeling some uphill struggle. And I asked him how it would change if it took him twice as long as he originally planned. Instead of having it done by December, what if he had it done by March? And the relief on his face and it was incredible. We started talking through, what would you change? What would you do differently? How would you set up your meetings in light of having a little more time? So it suddenly put a new perspective on the sense of urgency and what's urgent because we're excited and what's really, really important. What's best for the pace that we operate with our family for the long haul? What's the best pace for our volunteers and our teams? And it just changes our mindset and our heart to say, I'm going to do this for the long haul. And that means I need to change something. And the problem has been, Adam, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges in the church, is that if you're not thriving in your current role, the role that many people dream of having, they're so thankful for it. If you're not thriving, it must mean something's wrong with you. Instead of saying, we all struggle with this, here's a way to approach it differently, here's fresh perspective, but we can all thrive, but we've got to change some things together. And that's where it's been cool to see the book has been ordered. It's slowly shifted from being sales one at a time, you know, one over one over one, people ordering one, to now they're ordering groups of five and 10 because the whole staff is going through it together because it creates this shift as an organization for their church. And so it's been really cool to see that that shift. And so it was funny, the book, you know, kind of any book spikes when it first sells, releases, and then it drops off and kind of barely sells anything moving forward. That's a typical book. Uh, mine keeps having these spikes and it's because of these bulk orders and these people that are just like, oh, they keep referring it. And it's become something really special because I think it's really meeting a need that people didn't even know that they could talk about out loud because they thought something was wrong with them. You hit on something that I definitely want to get your opinion and thoughts on, and that is this struggle between doing what's urgent and doing what's important. Talk to me about that battle that we all deal with. Yeah. Dr. Henry Cloud says it's the vital versus the urgent. And I think when we lay out our routine, this is why I'm real passionate. And Adam, I know this isn't for everybody, but I think it even mentally can make a shift. So I schedule everything, every single thing. Um, my, my digital calendar is super full, but I'll schedule blocks of time and say email processing, phone call follow-up, not just podcast recordings like this, but blocks of time for all my tasks. In fact, I don't have a task list anywhere. Everything is in my calendar. And the reason I do that, I build all my routine that way. So when the sporadic hits or the surprise I'm forced to move that box somewhere else and see the fallout, see what this costs and what this burden is. And I think in our mind, 
We just have a mindset that like, oh, I'm going to stay a little longer to have this phone call with this person or to meet with this person. That hour lunch becomes a two hour lunch. And we don't equate that to the fallout and burden, right? And so there's something about saying, let me get everything on the schedule. Let me know what's real and practical. So when things come up and they hit us, it forces us to kind of move them to another area so we can see what's really happening. And I think sometimes we we focus on when we move that, what we end up doing is the vital stuff, if it's scheduled, I'm going to work on my ministry. That's the stuff that typically gets moved when fires start, when problems happen, right? But if you don't have scheduled time for it, you don't have to move it. So therefore, you don't even realize that you sacrificed it. But if I set aside time every Tuesday afternoon where I want to work on our ministry, I really want to improve the way we operate as a ministry. And I just want to take a fresh look. I'm going to spend a few hours on this, kind of thinking about it. When you move that, because something else comes up, maybe something urgent, maybe a hospital visit or something like that, you then now say, I didn't work on my ministry this week. I've just been working in it on the urgent and the fire. So I've got to put this somewhere. Where am I going to set time aside? And so I think the reality is the reason the urgent always wins is because, well, naturally in its nature, it's urgent. But the reason so many things are turned into urgent is because we don't see the fallout of decisions we're making today that cause things to be urgent on Friday, even though we're supposed to have the day off or we're going to have a date night with our spouse or whatever it is, because we don't see the fallout until it is urgent. And so if it's like, oh, I need to print all my copies for this weekend, and I plan on doing that Tuesday morning, well, when you don't get around to that because you have something else to do and you don't move that, what ends up happening is Friday late night, you're going by the offices to get those printed. And so, of course, you're going to get it done. You have to because Sunday comes every seven days. It's relentless. And so that's a reality. But if you're not moving that stuff, you don't feel the pain of it. Give us some hope. What benefits in your family, in your work, in your relationship with Christ have you seen from making this change from the moment that you and your wife talked to now? What 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 can we uh, hope to esteem to, what, what kind of situation can we hope to esteem to be in? Yeah. So let me start by saying we don't have it all figured out. It's still complicated. We got four kids. Currently there's one, two, three, four, five. We have five sports going on. No, six sports going on among four kids. I don't even know how this is possible. Um, We are running around like crazy. It's a very, very busy time in the Beeler family. So we're constantly having to reassess this and feeling this tension, right? You got to come up with new plans for the sporadic. And so I want to be clear about that. But I will tell you this, the thing that I think is the benefit, and I don't know that I've ever said it because I don't know, Adam, anybody's asked me this way before. Um, The real benefit is that I'm more honest with my family than ever. Just to, just to keep it in perspective, I, I now understand my schedule and my rhythm better, and I can tell my wife when I'm really going to be home, and I can be honest about, am I really going to get family time tonight, or am I going to sit near my kids and be working because something's urgent? And so it's caused me to be more honest with myself and with my family, which is a huge benefit, and by putting it on the the schedule and me kind of having a plan and and understanding my rhythms, it also helps me see when things start to slip a little bit 
in my devotional time or in my time of prayer or um, I'm a, a sermon junkie. I love to listen to sermons. And so there's a there's a direct correlation. If I'm not getting to listen to many sermons, I kind of struggle a bit, just to be honest. Like I love listening to it. I get so much out of it in both their technique and presentation and communication and as well as their content. And so you start to see those things get moved around. That 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 exercise time gets moved away because you get it replaced with something else. And I think honesty with yourself, honesty with others, because you're seeing the ramifications of your decisions puts you at a better place. And when I'm at a better place, I can, I can connect better with my family. My wife would much rather me say, I'll be home at six and get home at six. Then I'm leaving at five and not get home till 6.15 because I got hung up on a few things. Let me just be honest about how my day's winding down and let let everybody kind of know what's happening on the front end and really understand my schedule. Because another benefit, I think, is a lot of families and, and pastor kids and leaders can get jaded and frustrated by the church because it's like you're, as a ministry leader, you're choosing the church over your family. But when you understand your rhythm and your schedule, the the choices are clearer and you're understanding how things stack up. So if you've canceled a, a game night with your kids three times in a row, you may feel that emotionally, but not have a plan on what you're going to do about it. But if you schedule it, if you kind of have your arms around it, if you know your routine, you know when you can create a gap to make sure that that time still happens. You know, I want to talk to you about um, something that we've all gone through and you've gone through in a big way recently, and that is transition. And you had a pretty big transition this year, um, churches, jobs, states. And we were talking about it a little bit before the podcast, but I wanted to uh, spend a little bit of time talking about it because I know that your experience could be extremely helpful for someone who's either been there, is in the situation right now, or will be there soon. And so talk to me a little bit about the things that you've learned through that. Yeah. You know, I mentioned earlier, it was the hardest decision of our lives. Um, my wife was on staff there. I was on staff there. We're trying to figure it out. It was moving. We had just adopted a kid in November who we had just met in November. So a new teenager to our family. And so it was a, a whirlwind time. It felt crazy. It felt like what God wanted us to do. Uh, ultimately, we had a decision to make. It's not like we couldn't stay at Elevation. We, we had to figure it out. And you know, transitions are always so difficult in the church. Sometimes they happen too fast, sometimes too slow. Um, it's personal for everybody, so it can always be hard to navigate a transition. But I think there's something ultimately of the church longing to be family, and we're family even if we don't live in the same house anymore. And so even if we transition, and that can be hard. And it was interesting because we're a big staff, and some people— um, were really encouraging as we were transitioning. Some people had a real hard time with our transition. But my wife and I had to keep it in perspective. And as we were talking, there was a part of us that was like, man, if we're making this transition, does that somehow mean that the time that we serve there didn't mean as much as we thought or didn't matter as much or the fruit was somehow not as valid because now we're transitioning? And it was like, was our time there not what it should have been. And I realized that that was really poisonous thinking, that there's something to be said to say, no, 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 no. God had me here. 
God did great things and allowed me to learn things and grow as a leader. And I got to invest in people. And none of that changes in light of my next steps in the future. And so I think for some reason, because transitions are hard, especially in church, People take it so personal, and some transitions are really, really difficult and honestly unhealthy in the church, and some are great, um, and a little bit of everything in between. Um, I think there's a place where we kind of get to an unhealthy state of mind because we don't know who to go to, we don't know who to talk to about things, and so I'd say, ultimately, in your transition, which oftentimes means you're transitioning some friendships, uh, your work, your worship, you know, it's a big transition. Even if you don't move cities or states, it's a big deal. And so I would say there's there's going to have to be a few relationships that you fight for, that you're the one that keeps speaking up and reaching out and texting and saying, hey, love you, praying for you today, because the church keeps moving whether you're there or not. And so I learned that pretty quickly, that if I didn't fight for the relationships, they weren't all going to sustain. And that doesn't mean that they don't matter. And yet some of those staff have now came down and stayed at our house and brought their kids and spent time with our family. But I had some wise leaders encourage me to keep perspective and keep fighting for the friendships and relationships that mattered and help me keep it in perspective to know, you know what? That was a good season. And this is not the case at Elevation, but I know for some people during the transition, it's a really rough season, but that doesn't mean your entire time there was bad just because you're in a rocky spot toward the end. And so I would say, keep it in perspective. God did great things. God allowed you to be used in a special way. And none of that changes. So be encouraged. Look forward to what's ahead. But don't demean what's behind because of what can oftentimes be an awkward transition. Talk to me about how understanding that the balance of life and work is a myth and understanding honesty in your schedule, how that was uh, beneficial to you during this time of transition. Yeah, for sure. So um, honestly, during transition, your whole season gets a reset. You know, I, I was talking about the routine, right? And that's the one thing that I feel like we really can get our arms around our reality. We can say, okay, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is my job. I can delegate some stuff. I can find a rhythm. Most of your leaders can do that. It's a sporadic that's backbreaking. Well, now we had a new routine. And so coming into that going, okay, what's it going to look like moving forward? My wife and I, had this unique transition in that we didn't want to transition the kids out of school. So I commuted three nights a week. I stayed in Atlanta, four nights a week. I stayed home for six months. That's a weird routine. That's a whole different plan and pattern. But because I think we had had a few years to kind of wrestle with this practically and figure out how it applied to our lives, we then had a plan for figuring out what our new routine was going to look like that we could talk about as a family and what the sporadic was going to look like along the way. And in that season, I decided that I wasn't going to do any speaking. I had a couple engagements that I had to do, I'd already committed to, but I wasn't going to do anything on the weekends because I was going to fight to be home and go to church and worship with my family. Uh, I wasn't going to add extra stress because we were able to take an honest look at our schedule within the first few weeks of our new 
transition. And then, of course, everybody gets down here, and that's a whole nother transition and new routine and figuring out the sporadic. And so it gave us perspective to say, all right, we can do this. This is going to be complicated, but here's where we start. And I think a lot of times the conversation with our spouses or in the middle of transition, we don't know what the first few steps are. And so it feels more, this word I use a lot, and it's not necessarily a professional word, but squishy. <laughs> we use, we feel squishy for longer than we need to. The ground underneath us oftentimes solidifies pretty quickly in the transition, but we haven't found that space yet because we haven't found our new rhythm. And I think a win this and that strategy, this kind of whole myth of balance, taking a new approach, um, resets that. Because if we were pursuing balance over that six months during that crazy transition time, we would have been driving ourselves crazy. And it was hard enough as it is, but pursuing that would have been impossible. Talk to me about, to kind of wrap it up, the future of the work that you're doing, Orange, the future of Orange, and then um, help us out with some, you you mentioned that you were uh, listening to a lot of sermons. Help us out with, with some resources that are going to help us in these areas uh, for those who are listening. Yeah, for sure. So Future um, Orange is is growing really well. We're really excited. Um, the kids' ministry space is getting better than ever. Uh, we actually just released a preteen curriculum um, that goes along with the Orange strategy. We're really excited about because it it's very specific to that age group with video content that's specific to that age group. And we see that transition so critical. We want to hit a home run there. Um, we're taking it up. We just made some awesome hires in our student ministry space. And so the XP3 curriculum is really cranking it up. We now have an adult small group curriculum that's moving. Of course, the coaching stuff I talked about uh, that's kicking off in January, the new coaching groups. We're really excited about those because we think diving deep with a handful of leaders can have a great impact. And so that's going well. Conference is coming up. We're doing something called the Youth Ministry Leadership Exchange. Uh, it's a new gathering with Doug Fields and Kara Powell in Atlanta in February. So, I mean, lots of exciting things on that front podcast for another day. We're starting, uh, I'm the CEO of an organization called Phase Family Center, which is this massive new strategy, we think, that helps answer the question, how do we engage millennial families? And how do we answer the tension that giving in most churches is going down really quickly? So what does that look like for the future of the church? And so we're working to address that. So I'm really excited about that. But once again, that's for another day, because that's a whole nother can of worms. And then you know, um, as far as resources, I try to share resources that I love. So, I mean, definitely connect on social media. I'm always sharing things that I'm learning and we'll point to specific episodes of podcasts and things like that to help kind of lift everybody up and let everybody know what's out there. Um, I just released a podcast called the Discovering Leadership Podcast. They're five to seven minutes long. They're like drive time, once a week podcast, uh, just sharing leadership principles I've learned. So I'm excited about that. Um, sermons. I'll tell you who I'm listening to a lot these days. If you don't know this person, you should. It's Pastor Levi Lusco out of Billings, Montana. Um, I think he's a gifted communicator and he and his family are just really special. They've got a special heart. And so I've been listening to them and then obviously great leadership content from Andy Stanley and Craig Rochelle. And I mean, there's plenty of great stuff out there. Um, also from a leadership book standpoint, I would say there's a new book by John Acuff, who's a good friend, called Finish. And 
I've gone through it twice, legitimately gone through it twice. I read it digitally, realized that was a mistake, went and bought the book and highlighted and underlined, and I've got notes all throughout it, and I really think it's going to make me a better leader. And uh, his humor throughout made it a fun read, even though it had so much content in it. So that's a handful of the resources and kind of what's coming out and what's what's there. Also, my wife just released a book. Um, it goes live on Amazon any day now. I don't know exactly when. I'm a bad husband, but... Uh, called Don't Quit. She wrote it with Gina McLean from Faith Promise Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And it's all about longevity and ministry and practical strategies on how to do it. And it's a great book, all kinds of kids' ministry insight and examples in there. Uh, it's doing really well. And so we're excited about that as well. That's awesome. Frank, this is such a special podcast episode, unique specifically to our podcast. We've never talked about this myth of work and life. And this is a huge tension, um, not just in kids' ministry, but within all areas of the ministry. So I just want to say thank you so much for taking some time to pour into the leaders who listen to our podcast and really ultimately helping the local church. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's great to catch up. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Big shout out to Frank for taking the time to be with us today. Hey, like I said, seriously, if you want to connect theambushgroup.com, check it out. Check out the portfolio, but hit me up. Let's stay connected. Message me on Instagram. Um, Let's go out for coffee. If you're in another city, there's a good chance that I'll be near you. So let's get together and keep the conversation going. This is the end of season one. Until next time, I will leave you with some parting words. And my very good friend, Stephen Posey, used to say during every kid's service uh, when I worked in Kids on the Move, when you don't know what to do, do good. We'll see you next time.